The following is a Pro Football Network podcast. The primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome in to Between the Hashes, a Pro Football Network podcast. I am your host, Cam Meller. Uh, Joining me as always on the show coming forward here this season, Tony Pauline, our lead NFL draft analyst and overall draft guru, draft insider, uh, a man I look up to and have looked up to for a long time. Tony, thanks for coming in. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for doing this with us. Uh, It's a pleasure. It's nice to be back. I mean, college football season starts in what? Two and a half weeks. Uh, The the minor schedule, the half a dozen games they play before Labor Day weekend. And, and then, uh, you know, kicks off full steam uh, Labor Day weekend. So, uh, you know, a lot of ground to cover and, and it's going to get real busy real soon. And I can tell you this, I can't wait because I'm here in New York and it's about a thousand degrees outside. It was about 990 degrees yesterday and it's supposed to be about a thousand and ten degrees tomorrow. So it's just getting hotter and hotter. And uh, just so people know, we were filming this during the day and I came back from the gym, took a shower. So if I don't look my usual fetching self, you'll understand why. Please excuse me. There, it's fair. It's understandable. I, uh, you know, I never look my fetching self. I've noticed that two two kids under the age of three. I, I, I can't quite uh, keep up with everything I need to keep up with. But you mentioned week zero. I, the thing I love about the schedule, I, I can't remember from weeks past or years past when we've had college football's week zero. Um, it teases us. And then we have to wait typically till at least Thursday or that next Saturday, a full yeah. week after two or three games. But this week, you know, this season we have a, a Wednesday night game and then we have a couple of Thursdays and a bunch of Fridays. So we don't have to wait that typical week-long period after the Week Zero games. We get our, our mouth wet uh, with uh, some Week Zero games, a uh, fun one between Nebraska and Illinois, uh, and then we don't have to wait too long uh, for Wednesday and Thursday, Friday to roll around. So I'm, I'm really excited for this season for a bevy of reasons. Yeah, and except for that uh, Nebraska-Illinois game, it's used, it, the schedule's full of 1A teams playing or, or uh, BCS teams playing FCS teams, 1A teams playing 1AA teams. Uh, the Nebraska-Illinois game is going to be a good one. I think Illinois is on an upward trage- trajectory, and a lot is going to be expected from Scott Frost at Nebraska this year. He's really got to turn the corner. Or uh, the passion of fans who love them, I think, are going to quickly turn against them, which Nebraska fans usually don't do. Yeah, it's close. Anytime you have that many straight sellouts, obviously uh, you throw the asterisks for last year's not being able to sell out or have fans in the stands. But, yeah, anytime you question a fanhood, uh, Nebraska usually does not come to mind. Uh, but if we get to that point with Scott Frost, you, you got to think the seat gets even hotter. I think for Adrian Martinez, too, that seat with keeping his job above and, and letting Luke McCaffrey leave, it's a very interesting role there with, with Martinez, who always finds himself on the beginning, you know, the Heisman odds preseason, and then never has lived up to it. It feels like we're talking about him for a half decade. This is year four for Adrian Martinez, and if it doesn't happen now, you know, obviously for him it's over, but I think if it doesn't happen for him and Scott Frost, it's probably over for Frost as well. And, you know, the interesting thing at Illinois under new uh, new management there with Brett Belima, and you know he's going to want to make a big splash uh, coming back to the Big Ten after his disastrous tenure at Arkansas. And the thing about uh, Illinois, and we'll get into it later on, you can actually read it at Pro Football Network. I've already done my Big Ten write-ups. I've already been posted. Is they got a lot of good NFL prospects. They're granted their last-day prospects. They're more fifth, sixth-round type guys. But they've got a lot of good players, you know, who will play on Sunday – and I'm sure Belima is going to extract the most out of those guys. It, it makes a lot of sense for that as well. You know, in my opinion, to these to win or make waves in terms of the conference play as well, you got to have plus quarterback play. And depending on what we see there out of Brandon Peters, it's that's really where their win loss will come down to. But I, we've seen it the past few years too with Illinois. They've got great individual performances across the, the across the, the ball, defense and offense. Um, so if we get some plus play, I, I mean, I, I think that they can make some noise. You obviously have great coaching um taking away what he did at arkansas i still think that there's some some big 10 to his game that i think he can extract the best of the players like you mentioned yeah i would agree i thought that that move to arkansas was disastrous because <laughs> that that wisconsin style of play is not going to work in the sec especially at arkansas you mentioned brandon peters very disappointing last year i liked what i saw of him in 2019 in flashes uh, he's got an nfl body he's got an nfl arm 
I know he's got an NFL head, or at least he didn't show an NFL head last year, but he's got a good amount of upside. And, you know, if Belima has had success with that type of quarterback, not a real mobile guy, but someone who will sit in the pocket and, and throw what darts down the field, I think he can not only help Illinois, but he can also help his draft stock. You know, we got to talk about the show, Between the Hashes. I mean, um, anybody who, who knows us, who's who listened to us, know that, uh, you know, we're both big Seinfeld fans. Uh, and, uh, you know, between the hashes, that's just, that's just so Brett Yaris, you know what I mean? I, I was thinking maybe, maybe we could rename the show, you know, the Pauline and Penny Packer show, or, or maybe the ant in the ass man show, Anthony in the ass man show, of course, me being Anthony, but, uh, if you call me the ass man, that's fine by me. I, I that's, that's better than my other nickname. It's 99% as in I can quote 99% of the show of Seinfeld. So ass man, it's fine. Proctology. Yeah. So uh, hopefully it'll be filled with football knowledge and uh, Seinfeld fans will be laughing as well. And people who don't watch Seinfeld will be saying, what the hell are these guys talking about? And don't worry, it's on Netflix as of September, I believe. So if you don't know what the hell we're talking about, pick it up, figure it out. H.E. Pennypacker, Cal Varnson, Art Vandelay, whatever you want to call us at that point, we'll, uh, we, we probably will respond to all of them. So, yeah, let's keep it rolling. You, you talked about NFL draft stock and you talked about Brandon Peters. Obviously not a name that everybody's going to think about right now, but with a good season, he could. Let's flip it back, though, rewind a little bit back to last April, first day of May as well. The 2021 NFL draft, we saw five quarterbacks taken in that first round. Not a lot of quarterbacks taken after that. Ten total, I believe. So ten total, five in the first round. A lot of the talk this offseason has not been about first overall pick Trevor Lawrence. It's been mainly about Zach Wilson, second overall pick. Obviously, the Joe Burrow-esque meteoric rise to the first round, top two picks overall. And then there's some concerns, perhaps. I love the way he's interviewed, and I love the way he's handled himself from what we've been able to see uh, to the general you know, NFL landscape. But there are reports about some inaccuracies, some uh, interceptions at camp. Uh, is there a concern, or, or what, do we, what do we need to know about Zach Wilson going into uh, the first preseason game? Yeah, I, and I'm here in, <clears throat> at the Senator Storm in New York, and I read it. You know, the Jets make a mistake with Zach Wilson. Should the Jets be concerned about Zach Wilson? As far as I'm concerned, those are all idiot questions at this point in time and idiot concerns. I'm sorry. I mean, we're two weeks into uh, a, a camp and, you know, people are already ready to write Zach Wilson off. Zach Wilson, who's a rookie quarterback, playing basically with a rookie coaching staff, trying to implement a new offense with new players, new receivers, and people are concerned about Zach Wilson already. Uh, it, it just – I mean, it's the way things have changed – in the NFL, Bill Parcells, who is one of the most brilliant uh, football minds, has said for years and years it takes three years to determine whether a player is adequate enough, a drafted player is going to make it in the NFL. People you know, went from three years to wanting to know after the rookie year to wanting to know three months in the rookie year. Now they want to know three weeks after the guy takes the field uh, in practice whether or not he's going to be a good NFL uh, prospect or whether he's going to make it in the NFL. I, I mean, to me – I think it's a situation where people don't have anything to write about. We saw it with the Denzel Mims story, uh, which we, we kind of set straight on Pro Football Network. There are going to be a lot of bumps in the road for Zach Wilson. Uh, and, and I understand the frustration from Jet fans or the concern for Jet fans. The Jets have never really been able to get the quarterback over the hump, the quarterback that they drafted. Sam Darnold was supposed to be the next coming. Never panned out. He's playing for Carolina this year. They were not able to get uh, Mark Sanchez over the hump. You know, Chad Pennington, they got him so far, couldn't get him to the next level. Kenny O'Brien, who was a damn good quarterback, you know, it was berated because he was selected before Dan Marino, got him to a certain point and couldn't get couldn't get him over the hump. So, again, I understand, you know, the anxiety of Jet fans. We're two to three weeks into remaining camp. Give it a rest. Let's see what happens as he progresses through the year. And there's going to be issues during the year. There's going to be problems. There's going to be bad passes. He's a rookie quarterback in a new system with a new head coaching staff. You know, but – but let, let, let's like uh, take the throttle off the back uh, off the questions as to whether or not the Jets should be concerned or, or whether or not there should be concern over Zach Wilson. Yeah, it's it's unfair to these quarterbacks. Uh, I love that three year thing, the three year mantra. Let them, you know, you have to build around them. You you can select the quarterback, but if you're selecting a quarterback second overall, lest we forget, unless you trade it up, which then you've wasted draft capital or not wasted draft capital, but spent draft capital. You're, you're one of the worst two teams in the NFL if you're drafting second overall. So don't pin it. Yes. Wins come down to quarterback play, but it's also the sum of the whole parts for an NFL team. So I like what they've been able to do to build around him. I like the Elijah Moore pick and the report we've seen from them. Uh, 
I also love the the Zach Wilson answer this past week where he was asked about practice and he said, I'm going to look to see what I can get away with right. in practice. That seems to me like a kid who's thinking well ahead of his years. And so his adaptation to the NFL game seems to be that it's already started. So I'm very excited to see what it is. I've been a Zach Wilson believer since that 2019 season marred by injury and seven of his nine interceptions were not his fault when his receivers literally fell down on routes at most times. So there's a lot to like about Zach. And I think Jets fans, like you said, I mean, we're, we're going to be wanting three days worth of OTAs uh, or rookie minicamp next, uh, next season, next May, we're going to want to know if those quarterbacks are going to pan out with that transgression transgression of uh how quickly we want them to adapt. Yeah, two things. I mean, number one, it's not just Zach Wilson. It's you, They gave up on Sam Darnold, which a lot of people were against. I thought it was the right move. And, of course, the first game of the year, the Jets play the Carolina Panthers. So if Sam Darnold throws for three, three TDs and completes 65% of his passes – and Zach Wilson completes 50% of his passes and has two interceptions, I, I mean, it, it's going to be an implosion. So, you know, it, it's going to start. It's starting now. It's going to get even worse as we get into the uh, first week of the season. I, I've said this. I've told this story before. Back in 2018, a month into the 2018 season, I did a radio interview uh, on WFAN here in New York with Gary Myers, who's the longtime lead NFL reporter at the New York Daily News. And the subject was a month into the 2018 season, people were already saying that the New York Giants had made a major mistake taking Saquon Barkley over Sam Darnold. And the reason is because Sam Darnold showed flashes of being a real good quarterback. And that kind of overrode the fact that Saquon Barkley was doing what he would showed what that he was, in fact, the best player in that year's draft. Uh, and, and that was the narrative at the time. Giants should have taken Sam Darnold over Sa- uh, Saquon Barkley. So, uh, again, Let's give it some time. It's only a couple of weeks into camp. Are there concerns about uh, Zach Wilson? No, there shouldn't be any concerns about Zach Wilson at this point in time. Yeah, my concerns are what they're going to do defensively. I, I think that I think he would be very good defensively. Uh, I think right, what, I think a defensive head coach with some of the players that they brought in uh, and some of the players that they had, you know, they get C.J. Mosley back, the guy who really hasn't played football for two years after signing a massive free agent contract. They use him correctly. I think not only his play, but his leadership on the field uh, yeah. it is going to help. It is going to help that defense. Uh, my concern would be the offensive line. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, who they moved up to uh, select in the first round, as we had predicted that day uh, in the first round, he's been injured. I know that they were re- relying a lot on him. Mickey Becton has had some issues uh, thus far in camp, although he was a terrific player last year. Obviously, uh, it looks like Morgan Moses is going to win the right tackle position. We had a good article about him a couple of weeks ago at Pro Football Network. So I think defense is going to be good. I think the issue is the offensive line, and Zach Wilson's only going to be as good as the offensive line. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we can't. That unstructured play that he was able to make at BYU is not quite going to be – you can't live on that in the NFL. So uh, his position is sort of leads directly into the next question uh, about the 2021 NFL draft as we're going to start seeing preseason games unfold. We saw a couple of rookies making some splash plays uh, in the Hall of Fame game between the Cowboys and Steelers. Israel Mokwamu had a nice pass breakup uh, for the Cowboys. But what rookie, you know, heading into 2021, as we start to see these training camp battles take place, games start to transpire, and then as we hit the season, you know, do you have rookies that you like in a – perfect position or in a in an ideal situation or a, even just a good situation short term i'm going to go with another pittsburgh Steeler, Najee harris I, I mean he was a guy who since the senior bowl we had pegged the pro football network as going to the pittsburgh steelers i think he fits their personality i fits i think he's a perfect fit for that system i know they got a couple of issues on the offensive line which i'm sure they will get ironed out you know roethlisberger is getting a little bit longer in the tooth so they're going to rely on the uh, running game more i, I just think Najee harris is a when you look at the first round, I think he's one of the most perfect fits for the team that selected him. So I like Najee Harris short term. Long term, I'm going to surprise people. I think an outstanding fit long term is actually Kyle Trask, who was taken at the bottom of round two by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, how long can Tom Brady go on for? Well, we keep saying that. And, you know, Tom Brady, we keep saying that. And soon Tom Brady's going to be collecting Social Security checks. But I think Kyle Trask, who's a real good pocket passer, who's another good fit for that Tampa Bay Buccaneer system, who doesn't have to come in and start right away, a la Zach Wilson. There's not going to be the concerns about Kyle Trask if he throws a couple of interceptions uh, in, in, uh, in you know team scrimmages as there are with Zach Wilson. You know, he can you know, just take it easy, learn behind Brady, 
Good offensive coaches there. I think in the long term, Kyle Trask is in a real good position in Tampa Bay. So short term, I like Najee Harris. Long term, I like Kyle Trask. I like I like that. I uh, as a Bucks fan through and through a season ticket holder uh, in, earlier in my life, uh, I like the way it is. Even though I'm an FSU guy, it hurts to say a Florida quarterback takes over for your franchise. But well, we gave an FSU guy the chance, and we all know how that went out for the Bucks. So. I, I, think, for me. I, I, think, uh, I think these days everything hurts for FSU fans. <laughs> everything. Right, Scott. We, can, we can get into the FSU era later. We'll talk Mackenzie Milton and what, what we can expect. Uh, there's yeah. a, a degree of scaredness, uh, afraid that I'm going to be when Mackenzie Milton takes the field, especially with that porous offensive line that FSU has fielded for what feels like the better portion of a decade. So uh, I love Jalen Waddell in this situation if we can see plus play from Tua. Just, it's very rare that you go into an NFL realm or an NFL offense with a quarterback that you know and trust and that have played with and shows documented uh, experience and a rapport with. So short term, I think that that's a very interesting fit. And I've also been a Jalen Waddle fan for a long time. And then, uh, you know, my my sleeper pick, I guess, perfect position. Um, and I heard this from Eric Crocker, actually talking to Crocker and Croc report. He said that he loved Diomedor Lenore fit in San Francisco. He thought that there's a year he doesn't have to come in and start right away, uh, but he can develop. And he loved his skill set in that inside of that defense. So I, I'll still believe in Diamond or Lenore out there. We saw him uh, making a couple plays early in minicamp against Garoppolo. So, you know, I, I like the Lenore pick out there for San Francisco out West. Um, so let's tie it back in. You know, college football is coming up. I think we're 16 days away from the first game. We're a little bit further away from the 2022 NFL draft. But do we have any news? Do we have anything that you are hearing across the board? Anything from uh, scouting reports? Anything? Anything? Yeah, I mean, first of all, the draft is always front and center as far as I'm concerned in this office. I mean, some news that is uh, relevant uh, that is out there today is Tyrone Truesdale, the defensive lineman from Auburn, is no longer uh, with the program. So I don't know what's going to happen with him. He did receive some late-round grades from scouts, more of a gap occupier in that Auburn defensive line, which should have been pretty good this year, although they had some transfers. The Newkirk kid transferred to Florida. I think that's a blow for Auburn. But again, Auburn's got a brand-new head coach there. He's going to basically get his players in and the players that he thinks are not good for the program out. Truesdale's out. It's something interesting to keep an eye on because he did receive some late-round grades from at least the scouts I spoke with. The other bit of news is, Jalen, you know, you, you mentioned the uh, McKenzie Milton. Jalen Robinson, who is a dynamic receiver at Central Florida, who when I wrote up my summer report on Central Florida, I compared him to Kadarius Tony because of his playmaking skill, because of his ability to create when the ball's in his hand. I gave him a third round grade. Scouts I've talked to are third, fourth roundish on uh, Robinson right now. I'm hearing there's a very good chance he's going to enter the draft. He's going through the motions right now, Jalen Robinson as though this will be his final year at Central Florida. And he's very likely to put his name in the hat for the 2022 draft. So Robinson's not a, not a guy that gets a lot of pub outside of scouting community. You don't read about him that much, except for maybe on football network and some of the Central Florida sites. Uh, but that's a guy to keep on the scouting radar moving forward. Because as I said, when I watched him, I thought of Kadarius Tony, who was a first round pick, but remembered uh, by the New York Giants, but Kadarius Tony coming into last season, coming into his senior year, received a six-round grade. So he was a guy who really improved his uh, draft stock. Don't know if it was a good pick for the Giants. We're going to have to wait and see. But Jalen Robinson has got that type of ability. I think if he improves, he enters the draft, and it'll be a second-day pick. So keep an eye on him. He's a, he's a great name to, to know, but also as a fan of the game of football, a great player to watch. He's electric and incredibly fun to watch. How much, in your opinion, does it help – the recent string of success that UCF has been able to put forth in the NFL with receivers, Gabriel Davis, Traquan Smith are the first two that come to mind. Does that help future receivers or does it help Jalen obviously specifically here? Well, I I think the fact that he's also played with different quarterbacks will help him. You know, I, I I hate to look at teams, you know, Penn state being the former linebacker, you, and then you had a, a time where Florida just kept pumping out receiver after receiver. A lot of them didn't live up to expectations. I don't really buy into that, that a team consistently produces uh, players at one position for the next level. I think you've got to look at each player on an individual basis. I mean, if Jalen Robinson falls flat on his face this year and doesn't have a good campaign and he enters the draft, he's not going to be a high pick based on the Central Florida reputation. He's going to be a, uh, you know, a pick based on his production. 
I don't really think it helps that much. You've got to look at each uh, individual case and take it and grade it from there. Yeah. And then there's, you know, I, I would have said the only example or, or difference in that is a Lincoln Riley coached quarterback. But even still, we saw NFL teams are a little bit smarter than the average Bears. And Jalen Hurts was, you know, bucked that trend. I think we get back onto that with Spencer Rattler. But correct me maybe if I'm wrong, is there currently a player right now that is being overrated within this outside of scouting circles? That would be Malik Willis, the quarterback from Liberty, who, you know, I don't really pay attention to too many mock drafts, but, you know, occasionally I look at him and I got Malik Willis of Liberty as a top 10 pick. Malik Willis right now has got grade from scouts that I've spoken with that are anywhere from late fourth to mid fifth round. Now, as we saw with Joe Burrow, as we saw with Zach Wilson, you know, if he has a great year, is he, or he has that type of year, he can absolutely vault to the top of the draft. Um, but I think right now people, I don't know if they like him or they're, they're grading him so highly on because they like him or they're grading him because they think he can be that type of player. He absolutely is not. He's an electrifying quarterback. He's got great athletic skills. He is a type of quarterback that a lot of teams like now, the RPO type guy who can get outside the pocket. And if there's nothing there, he can take off up the field and make plays with his legs. He can make all the throws. But he really has to learn to go from being a thrower into a passer. Uh, you know, hopefully Hugh Freeze, who I like as a coach, will help, will help further his development. And if Hugh Freeze does that and will, uh, Willis is a, an early pick, it's going to be good for both player and coach. who will uh, probably get another big-time job. But, you know, from talking with scouts and even watching myself, Malik Willis does not grade out as a first-round pick. He's more a middle-round pick, although he's got the potential to be a first-round pick. So I think all these people who are thinking – Malik Willis is a lock to be a top 15 pick. No, that, that's not what he, that's not what's talked about in the scouting community. Yeah. I have that sort of same mantra with him for the Heisman, like looking at it from just a specific college football player. I absolutely believe he should be a preseason favorite for the Heisman. Maybe have that burrow or Wilson esque rise to, to the top of the NFL draft. But this is uh, I have one specific reason why he is a Heisman favorite. In my opinion, it's Hugh freeze probably won't take him out if they're up by two or three touchdowns late in the fourth quarter, get him to 4,000 passing yards, get him to 1,500 rushing yards. This is a full 12, possibly 13 game season if they can get a bowl game. And you're looking at some gaudy statistical numbers from the Heisman standpoint or, you know, the general box score people that love to talk college football. I think that we can see some pretty ridiculous numbers from Willis this year. Um, And then, yeah, that leads to obviously more for Willis, but more for Hugh Freeze as well, which, uh, you know, helps him and helps uh, his pocketbook. So, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On that flip side of that coin, though, is there somebody that is a little bit underrated inside of scouting circles at this point? Absolutely. In fact, I'm going to give you a two-pack. And they both played a tight end position. Uh, you know, we talked about Liberty, a smaller school, uh, small school type prospect. Coastal Carolina tight end Isaiah Likely is a guy who has just blown it up uh, last year. I mean, he looked like a 245-pound speed receiver the way he got down the field and would consistently make receptions 50, 60, even 70 yards down the field. He's a natural pass catcher. He's an incredible athlete. Scouts right now have given, that I spoke with, have given likely a day three grade. I've heard anywhere from late fourth to, believe it or not, the late seventh round. I look at it likely as a third rounder at worst, especially in today's NFL where you want that tight end that can stretch the uh, stretch the field. He's not much of a blocker, but it's not due to lack of effort. They just don't ask him to block. He's such a weapon as a pass catcher. They just they send, send him out and run pass routes all the time, and he catches the ball. I think if Likely had entered this past April's draft, the 2021 draft, he's the third or fourth tight end off the board. He's probably a late third, maybe early fourth-round pick. I was told one of the reasons why he decided to go back was because he had a foot issue at the end of the year, and he wasn't going to be ready in time. But Isaiah Likely, if you watch the film consistently, I mean, he is basically what you want in today's type of tight end. He's long. He goes about 245 pounds, although he looks thinner. And he is a great pass catcher. So where scouts have graded him as a late fourth to even a late seventh round pick, I have him as a solid third. 
The other kid would be the other tight end would be James Mitchell of Virginia Tech, who is getting six round grades from scouts. I have him as a early fourth, maybe a, a late third right now. He is a lot like Isaiah Likely, though he doesn't have the pure speed. There was some talk that Mitchell would come out and, and enter last year's draft. And when they were when he mentioned that, they were talking about third round. So now all of a sudden he's getting late round uh, grades. I, I don't agree with it. He's a little bit heavier than Isaiah Likely. He goes about 255 pounds. But when you watch the film, you wouldn't think he's 255 pounds the way he moves around the field. And especially, you know, like Likely, he looks like a big, strong possession receiver at the tight end position. So Isaiah Likely of Coastal Carolina, James Mitchell of Virginia Tech, both tight ends I think are being woefully underrated within the scouting community. I like it. And then you have, in my opinion, if if Mitchell can get some better play from Burmeester at quarterback there, you know, you're talking about, I think, showcasing what he can do a little bit more. Likely showcase what he could do with Grayson McCall. That returns, that duo returns is arguably, in my opinion, one of the top, not just quarterback tight end duos in the country, but quarterback pass catcher. And that includes wide receiver duos in the country. We saw what they were able to build last year, what they're going to keep building under coach Jamie Chadwell again this year. Uh, it's big years for both of them coming up and including Chadwell, who likely springboards if he wants to probably has a ticket to whatever job offer he, he wants to after this season, if they have another repeat year. So specifically to this too, because likely as a guy from a small school, the Shri- East West Shrine game, and we'll, we can get to the differences and what they're gonna what they're moving to this year under the NFL umbrella, going to Allegiant Stadium uh, as part of the Pro Bowl festivities. How big is that specifically? And then we can talk about how the Shrine Game changes will affect the postseason scouting process after that. But uh, and a guy like Isaiah Likely, who may not get the Senior Bowl invite because he plays at Coastal Carolina, Jim Nagy does a great job of finding everybody. But sometimes you you, you err on the side of the the Power Five conference schools get those senior bowl invites and then the shrine game takes a guy like likely. So is it hugely beneficial, obviously for likely to get a shrine game invite if if, at worst, and then maybe a senior bowl, but, and then how does the the shrine game changes? How will that affect the postseason scouting process? Yeah. Well, we're going to have our first disagreement here because I'd be shocked when I'm in mobile Alabama and and the senior bowls are pushed back a a week later this year that Isaiah likely is not there. I, I think he absolutely has to be there, but to your point, you know, there are players that are on the fringe of the senior bowl that don't get senior bowl invites and go to the shrine game. Now, you know, as to what Cam was saying, what, what what has happened traditionally is, and I mean traditionally for years, decades, is the shrine game was always the week before the senior bowl. And it was great for scouts because, you know, we'd go out and the shrine game was, uh, was started as a West Coast game out in San Francisco. They moved to uh, Palo Alto for a couple of years. And then it was in Texas. Didn't find its legs in Texas. Moved to Florida about, uh, I want to say, 12 years ago. First couple of years, it was it was in Orlando. Uh, we stood outside the practice field outside, I believe, it was the Citrus Bowl. It was a horrible practice field. Then it moved to St. Pete. And it had a, had a great home in St. Pete. I, I mean, St. Pete's a terrific place, St. Pete Beach. Uh, they used to practice on a couple of high school fields. The past couple of years, they practiced in the Tropicana Dome, which is probably one of the ugliest baseball stadiums I've ever been to in my life. But <laughs> you're inside watching football, watching these guys play. And what would happen is, you know, you'd get your second tier type of prospects. Yeah, you had your your Jimmy Garoppolo's there. You had a couple other guys, the uh, offensive tackle from uh, the New Orleans Saints, whose name escaped me, who had three great days of practice at the Shrine game, ended up going early uh, in the draft. And what would happen is, is sometimes if you play well enough at the uh, Shrine game, you get the senior bowl invite. You either get an invite to all three days of practice or you were late fill-in for someone who got injured. Uh, so, uh, you, you know, it, 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 it was, and it was always a good, pure scouting event because what's happened to the senior bowl is what happened to the combine is it's gone from a, a scouting event to more of a media event where every, uh, beat reporter, you know, on the face of the earth, NFL beat reporter flies to mobile because they've got access to the coaches and everybody else. And what happens is the coaches leave early and they watch the practices on film. They're, pri- they're primarily there for the interviews, where that wasn't the case with the Shrine game. Now, I'm rambling on and on and on. What happened with the Shrine game? Well, the word so, was – I'm sorry. The I word was – yeah, you, you tell me. Okay. The word was the Shrine game was having financial difficulties. I had heard this uh, uh, when they canceled the game last year due to COVID. 
And there was concern that the Shrine game may not have been played because they don't have a major sponsor. They don't have the same TV deal as the Senior Bowl where Senior Bowl practices, uh, you know, are televised. Uh, so it was a finance, you know, there was some financial concerns. Whether it'll come out, I'm told basically what happened was they hooked up with the NFL and with the NFL Pro Bowl for financial reasons. I, I mean, uh, the game probably won't find a home in Las Vegas. The game will travel where the Pro Bowl travels each year. And that is primarily the reason why I was told anyway. And it makes sense considering what I uh, was told. It was a financial uh, issue where the NFL is like, okay, we will financially back this game. It's going to be part of the Pro Bowl. You know, the game is what? I think the game is the Thursday night before the Senior Bowl. They still haven't announced where practices are. I know Eric Galco is picking the players uh, for the Shrine game. I'm sure he's going to do a great job. Eric's been in the business for a while. He's a self-made guy. I, I, I have most respect for the guys that have been in the business the longest by themselves, and Eric is one of those guys. You know, I mean, they're going to be competing with the Senior Bowl. So is, is the Shrine game going to say, hey, listen, come to our game, come to our practice. You're going to have a lot of NFL people there for Pro Bowl, a lot of other, th- you know, a lot of other intangibles there, agents, et cetera, marketer, marketing people there because it's the Pro Bowl. You'll get a taste of the players or, you know, are they going to try and steal players away from the senior ball? Or is it going to be a situation where the NFLPA game, which is actually the week before, will get those players because the NFLPA game can now say, come to the NFLPA game, practice for the three days, you're playing the game, and then you've got a better chance of getting to the senior ball, which is the granddaddy of them all as far as the scouting process is, is concerned, because now no one who's at the Shrine game is going to be able to practice or participate in the senior ball. So it, it's an interesting dynamic. You know, I'm sure the senior, the Shrine game is going to try and scoff up some of the players that usually go to the Senior Bowl using the NFL uh, as its backdrop. I don't know that it's going to happen, though. Yeah, that would be my only, you know, what do you use as sort of I uh, why to come to my Shrine game if you're going to miss the Senior Bowl? You're going to wait for that Senior Bowl invite as long as you possibly can before you actively choose to go to the Shrine game if you're one of those fringe players and not just a guarantee as we saw, of course, today, the, the the release of the watch list. If you're not on the watch list, you know you're going to be hard pressed to get, uh, you know, two. You're just going to wait. It's going to change the whole process, and it's it's going to be very interesting to watch, sort of where that unfolds and how it unfolds, and then what not just this season, what happens next season, uh, as well. Yeah, you know, and, and the Shrine game. I, I know I constantly uh, harass Eric uh, on Twitter asking when practices are going to be, so I can set up my practice schedule. But still, I, I mean. You know, practices for the Senior Bowl are Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And scouts are going to make sure that they're out in Mobile Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday for Senior Bowl practices. Uh, the game uh, for the Shrine game is is a Thursday night. Are they going to have practices Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Are going to have practices Saturday, Sunday, Monday? Are they going to have practices Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday? I, I think if they try and overlap the Senior Bowl, that will be a death blow for the Shrine game because people are going to leave and they're going to go to Senior Bowl practices Again, lot, it, it, it's interesting. I, I don't know that it's for the better. I think it was a necessary move uh, for the Shrine game because of the financial considerations. Uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully the practices will be Saturday, Sunday, and Monday or Friday, Saturday, and Sunday because we'll be out there uh, for both Shrine game practices and then just fly from Vegas to Mobile for uh, Senior Bowl practices. It seems like a terrible time. Uh, <laughs> sorry, it sucks to be alive. Now, but no, watch some don't, don't, don't. be able to watch some clothes when I get to Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> don't think I didn't hear death blow. So I'm going to, you know, we're missing the death blow. Who is the, the guy who forces Jerry to bootleg death blow? Do you know that character's name? Kramer's friend who carries the baseball bat around. That's what I, Brody. Brody, Brody the bootlegger. What yeah. a, a classic episode with Death Blow, the movie, and Seinfeld. So, anyways, you, we talk fringe players, and we talk players going to the Senior Bowl and guys we, that are we on top. We haven't talked about Dave Sacamano, though. What, isn't that uh, Kramer's friend? Bob, Bob Sacamano. He called late Bob last Sacramano, night, 2 a.m. Yeah. We got to talking. thought he was Kramer's friend. Yeah, well, tangent. Because somebody everybody likes to talk about right now is common talk when you talk about any position player. We could go Kayvon Thibodeau but I'm actually going to go the differences right now. Is there a real race for cornerback one in this draft class, or is it Derek Stingley and then the field? Uh, it, it's it's not even close. I, I mean, it's Derek Stingley, then everyone else. Now we'll have to wait and see how Derek Stingley plays. I thought he played better in 2019 than he did in 2020, although 2020 for a myriad of reasons, you know, you got to take with a grain of salt and, and then see how he does here. 
But no, I, I mean, I, I think hands down, it is, uh, it, it is in fact, Stingley, who is the uh, top cornerback. Uh, maybe someone else pops up. I don't know who that's going to be. It's not a strong senior class. Uh, but Stingley was great in 2019. He wasn't bad last year. He just didn't improve uh, on his 2019 play. Uh, it, it, it's the rest of the field following. It's almost like Trevor Lawrence last year. You know, people talked about can Justin Field take uh, uh, bypass Trevor Lawrence, and then there was talk uh, a couple of months before the draft that some teams had Zach Wilson rated ahead of Trevor Lawrence, which I thought was utterly ridiculous. I think it's that sort of situation. The way it was Trevor Lawrence and everyone else last year. It'll be Daryl Stingley and everyone else, at least from where we stand today. Fair enough. I, uh, I'll leave my thoughts for another day on those two. I, uh, I like where I actually have spoken to Gardner's brother uh, quite a bit, and the, the level of effort he puts into the offseason stuff is, is up there with some of the best I've ever seen. Uh, so I'm interested to see where this goes. I, I, I love, love this sport, and I love the, watching these kids take the next step. So I'm always tell, tell, tell his brother, tell, tell, tell his brother that Ahmad's got to learn to make plays with his back because with his back to the ball because when you watch the film, he does a ton of face guarding, and that's a killer for a uh, college yeah. corner. I mean, you got to get your head back around. He's good in zone. He's good when he's facing mm-hmm. the action. He's physical. He's got size. But he does a lot of chasing down the field, can't get his head back around and, and track that pass in the air, which is is killer. I mean, scouts want to see that. Fair enough and good enough for him this season to the AAC schedule. And we're going to flip it over here, obviously, to we're going to look ahead. So it's a, this is my clever ploy of, of flipping to the top 25 to look at here. There, Cincinnati's going to have their fair share of running the table. I think if you if you look at where they're ranked, they're the highest ranked group of five team, I believe in the preseason schedule or preseason coaches poll, uh, number 11, number 10. So first one to crack the top 10 this, this season in the group of five, uh, obviously you have Notre Dame at seventh in the independent, um, a no brainer, Alabama, number one, Clemson two, Oklahoma three, Ohio state four, your immediate takeaways. As we flip to look directly at the, you know, the upcoming college football season, it's always draft season for you. It's always college football season for me. Um, what, you know, Eyes are on that Georgia-Clemson matchup to open the year. Is that like a scout's dream to see the – or would you rather see this matchup later in the season or midway through the season when these guys are primed? Or is this a, you know, hey, start the season with no one better than Georgia for Clemson or vice versa, you know? Well, I mean, it's it, it's good as far as scouting is concerned. You don't have any really super high picks, but you got a lot of, uh, you know, potential late first-round picks, a lot of uh, day-two picks. Uh, I'm very excited to see that Clemson quarterback. I liked what I saw from him last year in the two games he played. What was it, Notre Dame? And I believe the other game was Pittsburgh. Uh, he's not Trevor Lawrence, but he, you know, he's got that it factor. He's very accurate. You know, when, first thing is this: is I, I hate preseason polls because I think all too often preseason polls are based on what teams did last year rather than forecasting what they're going to do in the future. And polls by coaches are even more meaningless because. Coaches don't, you know, you're Alabama, Nick Saban maybe knows his team, knows a couple teams in the SEC. He's not watching Oklahoma. I mean, he knows Ohio State because he pounded on Ohio State last year in the uh, in the national championship game. He doesn't know Iowa State. But, I, I mean, I, I think that Alabama is going to take a step back this year. You look at the firepower that they lost on offense. You look at the fact they lost Patrick Sertain. Who are they going to replace him with? And I know they say, you know, they, they don't recruit. You know, they, they they just basically fill in the fill in guys with the uh, fill in missing holes with with great players. I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. They lost a Heisman Trophy winning receiver who was getting passes thrown to, to him by a guy who probably could have won the Heisman Trophy at quarterback and Jalen Waddle and a first round uh, running back. They lost some offensive linemen. I don't think Alabama is a surefire you know a surefire bet to be the top team in the league in the country. I should say. Uh, maybe even the league. I'll get to that. Clemson, obviously, they lose uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence. They lose Travis Etienne. They lose some of their receivers. I said I like the quarterback, but he's got they're going to have to replace a lot of guys there. Oklahoma, you never know because of the conference they play in. Again, Ohio State, they bring back some terrific receivers, but you've got to replace Justin Fields. I like Georgia. I mean, I look at that Georgia team. If they can just get, as you say, positive play at the quarterback position – 
I think that they're going to be a team that can win the SEC and will battle for the national championship when I did my uh, film work on them. They're good at running back as they usually are. They're not great at running back, but they're good at running back. They've got a good offensive line. They're okay at quarterback. You hope JT Daniels stays healthy and, and really is a positive player this year. But Stetson Bennett did okay for him last year. They lost their entire secondary, but their defensive line is outstanding. Jordan Davis and Devin White, defensive tackle, clogged in the middle. Those are guys that would have been probably day two picks had they answered last year's draft. They decided to go back. They got some good, good linebackers. I, I think Georgia, when I look at this poll, Georgia, who's number five, is really the sleeper you know, who can move up. And the other team that I think is woefully underrated in this poll is USC. Uh, I think USC can will win the uh, will win the Pac-12. I like their quarterback. They got some. They got an outstanding receiver. They got some impact defensive players. How they're ranked number fourteen? Probably because of last year. <laughs> I mean, they're basing it off last year rather than looking at the players that are returning and, and where they could be in two thousand twenty-one. So you mentioned woefully underrated. I think. I do share your sentiment, too, with a coach's poll being relatively meaningless. How how good are you at understanding your own team if you can't be then tasked with understanding all 129 other teams? You can be pretty good at your opponents, but that's why you have assistant coaches to help you scout for the different opponents for the year. Um, but woefully underrated, and I think it's got to be to do with their potential sanctions looming. It's Arizona State not in the top 25 and if you know you want to say whatever they maybe win in 2021 with whatever the allegations are going to be or whatever it's going to come to light that they did, they have three coaches on administrative leave this year. But that's a talented team with Jaden Daniels returning, uh, a lot of players coming back, a talented running back duo, and then Frank Darby. So there's there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball as well there. So I think a team that can sneak back in. We saw how long it took the NCAA to lo- levy sanctions on Baylor from a scandal that happened in 2015 with Art Riles, we just had this happen this week. So any scandal that that they have, the sanctions won't be passed on for Arizona State until, I mean, by this rate, six years from now. So whatever they win and whatever the team that they're going to field now might surprise people if you look at the preseason coaching poll, they're not there. And I think that they're, you know, they're a challenge to Utah and USC, uh, perhaps USC, maybe not quite certain. We saw, they, I mean, they had them for the first uh, quarter, two quarters and a half last year, all the way down to the wire, but. I, I'm I'm sold on um, Texas A&M this year. If if and I mentioned it earlier as well, quarterback play. If they can figure out a quarterback situation, they have pieces of the puzzle around the board. So is this your? Is this the Jimbo Fisher team that they could finally crack the college football playoff, or is there, are they still a ways off in the SEC? Yeah, I don't know if there were there are ways off because you know I don't think Alabama is going to be as good as everyone says in that division. Uh, I don't know that. LSU, how well they're going to rebound. I do think Mississippi will be better. But again, I mean, Kellen Mond meant so much to that Texas A&M team the past two years. Uh, It's going to be tough to replace them and get that same production immediately. So uh, is this a year Jumbo Fisher, you know, finally breaks through? I think Texas A&M will probably be be a better team. He's going to need a couple more recruiting classes. But I think the uh, the loss of Kellamond is just going to be very, very tough to replace. You know, and getting to Arizona State, you, you know, I, I agree with you what you said about the sanctions. But the fact is this, you got three coaches, you know, where you're starting August camp. You got three coaches who are on administrative leave. You don't know when they're coming back. Uh, and that's a disastrous situation. I will say that Herm Edwards, I think, has done better than anyone ever thought, because when Herman Edwards was hired, a lot of people laughed. He's going to be a, just a figurehead. But you watch the Arizona State football team. They get out there and they play smash mouth football. They play, play punch in the face. They line up with you. Sometimes they fade at the end of the season. Last year was kind of a throwaway. I think they played, what, four games last year. It was almost yeah. like an exhibition season. But they are a good, you know, tough, physical football team. I just don't know how they're going to do with so many coaches that are sidelined in the, you know, before the season even began begins in August camp and you don't know where they're going to be back. And, you know, let, let me just say this, this is a, an opinion that uh, people will disagree with, but, you know, Baylor sanctions because of recruiting, not because of the off the field, the sexual misconduct, in my opinion, it just shows what a further joke the NCAA is because whether it's Baylor when the situation was going on, whether it's Sandusky at Penn State, 
that they always seem to be the last one to get the news and they're always reactive whether they, rather than being proactive. I'm so happy that the players won with this name and image likeness because the players were making billions for the NCAA and then guys like A.J. Green were getting suspended because they were selling their jerseys. You had that whole situation at Ohio State where the players were trading their personal stuff for tattoos and it imploded that program. I, I mean, the Baylor situation, the sanctions that came down from Baylor, which did not include the off the field sexual misconduct, which the school found themselves to me, it just further proves how useless the NCAA is. Yeah. And I think they, it was, uh, they could have done a significantly better job. They could have done a significantly better job of handling everything that they've handled in the past 20 plus years that we've been watching unfold with the way the media covers it. It, it's time for some change. And I think at least they've hinted at change and they understand that they're where their governing body and where their governance actually is. It's written in their bylaws that it's not there in their realm. So I think that it starts with changing there and changing their mission. And I think that's what they're starting to do. It's a little too late though. Uh, so here's hoping that something changes or at least we got the win for the players because uh, that NIL deal and Bryce Young making over a million dollars. I mean, this is a kid that, that's life changing for him. And he's still showing up to practice. He's still showing up. He's going to show up to these games. He's still going to get drafted if that's his ultimate goal. If he proves worthy, it's not changing how he's, a, a you know, as a college football player or a kid. He's just largely beneficial for him to sell his merchandise, his memorabilia, his his signatures. Trade. If I could have traded my signatures for tattoos when I was a college kid, I would have. Listen, I was never first thing. First thing is, you know, I was never a big Johnny Manziel guy. I never thought uh, that he projected well as an NFL quarterback. But when, uh, you know, they were talking about him uh, getting paid to sign autographs, there should be nothing wrong with that. I, I mean, it's his autograph. If people want to come pay him for his autograph, if he's a if he's a NCAA player, they should he should be able to do that. Now, with the NIL, let's not let's not fool ourselves. They're going to be kids that are exploited by agents. Uh, they're going to be made all kinds of promises by agents. So, you know, the kids. Uh, when I say kids, I apologize. The players have to be responsible about this. You know, if it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. So they've got to take their own accountability. But in the end, I'm glad that they're getting the opportunity, uh, you know, to make money based on their own name and image likeness, their own ability, their own potential, et cetera. Yeah. And this honestly leads into one of the things that I wanted to ask you. And, and we can, you know, close off with this as well. A guy like Derek King at Miami formerly of Houston, he's doing a lot. He's the first to sign with FIU as a, or as a sponsor or as with the Florida Panthers, excuse me, as a sponsor athlete of them. He's got his own company with Mackenzie Milton that they've formed. He's doing a lot with his platform, whether or not he's realized and correct me if I'm wrong, he's not necessarily a NFL draft prospect at quarterback. He's a great college quarterback, but it's amazing to see what he's able to do with that platform. So that question though, is what I really wanted you to answer. Cause it's one thing that I'm shaky on. I understand it. I get it. What makes a great college football quarterback, but what separates these players that are throwing for 3000 plus yards running for another thousand? What makes them, you know, what, what's the difference or is there a big difference, differentiating factor between a great college football quarterback and then a great pro prospect at quarterback? It's huge. I mean, I mentioned Johnny Manziel, Malik Willis right now is a potentially great college quarterback who needs a lot of work before he's ready to play on Sundays. Now, you know, what makes a great college quarterback pro, uh, player into a legitimate NFL quarterback prospect? Well, you got to be able to play within the pocket because what happens is a lot of times these guys freelance. You can't do that in the NFL because you're going to get your head taken. You're going to get smashed. Accuracy. And I'm not talking about statistical accuracy. I'm talking about, as I like to say, pass placement. People talk about throwing receivers free. You know, you can't have a wide open receiver and complete a reception for 50 yards where you're throwing behind the pass catcher so he has to adjust backwards to grab the ball, or you're throwing high and he's got to leave his feet because that leads to a loss of opportunity running after the catch. You've got to put the ball where your receiver can make the catch, and usually only your receiver can make uh, the catch. Obviously also, you know, the ability to read defenses, the ability to make good decisions, the ability to protect the football. You know, two players from ages ago, Ryan Leaf, and Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf had the premier had the great, much better physical skills. He was bigger. He had the stronger arm. He could make all the NFL passes. He was a guy who could sling the ball downfield with a flick of his wrist. But if you watch Ryan Leaf when he's at Washington State, especially in that Rose Bowl, he's relying on his arm 
too much to make passes rather than his head, rather than good uh, sound football football decisions. Cost him in that Rose Bowl because Charles Woodson was picking off passes. Whereas Peyton Manning, who didn't have the same amount of arm strength, you know, he he was a he was a passer. He was a guy who was a complete quarterback, great reads, incredible accuracy and pass placement, uh, putting passes where only his receivers can, can make the throw. It's very easy to make big plays on Saturday as a quarterback running or throwing the ball. That does not tra- automatically translate to the next level because all of a sudden, you know, the best cornerback you faced on Saturday may be your dime back on Sunday or the 235-pound, you know, <clears throat> or, or I should say your 350-pound left tackle who was able to block out the sun on Saturday can't even make a roster on Sunday because he doesn't have the athleticism. So, I mean, a lot goes into it. And just because you're a great college quarterback doesn't mean you translate well to the next level. Same for every position. Just because you're a great – I mean, the Hakeem Butlers of the world. We can go talk about the receivers of, uh, who were fantastic receivers on Saturday, just never did anything on Sunday. Cornerbacks, pass rushers, it goes on and on and on. But, you know, with, with all the focus these days being on quarterback, especially in the draft, especially at the top of the draft, uh, that's the, uh, the position that gets the most conversation. I, I look at that, and that's why I still have hope for Brock Purdy. I think he's got. Uh, we'll see. I think he's got. I think he's got some. Uh, I think he had. If you look at the Power Five schools last year, last year being what it was, those receivers couldn't separate from any sort of press or man coverage. And so Brock tried his best. I, I still, I'm still a firm believer uh, that 2019 season, 20 end of 2018, 2019 season for Brock Purdy among the best. We'll see. I was right about Zach Wilson. I'll hang my 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 cat on that one at least, um, and then we'll see. Uh, the the hash marks change. Uh, from the NFL, from the NCAA college football level to the NFL, they're a lot wider. They're a, it's a lot different. There's, a, I think, a grand total of 60 feet from the sidelines and then 40 feet from the sidelines. There is a 40-foot difference in the hashes. There is no difference in how we're going to cover college football in the NFL draft this year on Between the Hashes and at ProFootballNetwork.com. So we thank you for being here for this one. Tony, I thank you for joining me. I learn an immense amount when I'm when I sit down with you. Uh, it's not just how good I am at quoting Seinfeld. I also learned how great of a band Led Zeppelin is. So I can't believe we went 50 plus minutes without mentioning the mightiest band of all time to quote you. So uh, thank you for joining us. This was Between the Hashes for Tony Pauline. I'm Cam Miller.